you know, I would encourage, you know, anybody that's looking at any healthcare field, if you think you like something in particular, spend some time with somebody who is living that life. Mm -hmm. Take a look, not just at them, but see the work they do. How does that work affect their life? Hello and welcome. You're listening to Health Careers with Dr. Martin a podcast show that pulls back the curtain on what a career in health and wellness is really like. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Martin. Welcome back, everybody, to another fantastic episode of Health Careers with Dr. Martin. Yours truly here. In today's episode, we're going to talk to someone in a profession that most likely you have met, whether you know it or not. And that profession is a an OBGYN, an obstetrician and gynecologist. And okay, maybe your mom or grandmother or your sister or your cousin may have dealt with them, but you have. But there's a good chance that you were probably handled by an OBGYN or an obstetrician when you were born. Not everybody is, but there's a good chance. So whether you know or not, they may have taken care of you. Anyway, today we're going to talk about that profession, and the person that I'm bringing on is Dr. Anna Barbieri. Anna is just a fantastic person. Anna is super intelligent, bright, hardworking, passionate, always trying to find ways to improve herself and improve the care of her patients, and just very empathetic to patients and what they go through, her female gynecologic and obstetric patients. And we know this for a fact because we... My wife was a patient of of Anna's. My wife, who you got to hear in episode 34 when she talked about her life and career as a pediatric dentist, she and I, my wife and I, have a daughter and Anna delivered her. So we just are very blessed that that process, that experience was so, so memorably positive for us. And so we're very blessed to have Anna in our life, not only as a professional, but also as a dear friend. So if you want to get a sense of what it's really like to be an OBGYN and living that type of life and the excitement that comes with taking care of women, female patients, as well as helping deliver babies, then this podcast is for you. Keep listening and let's jump into it as we talk with Dr. Anna Barberi. Hi, Anna. Thanks for coming on board. Appreciate you uh, joining me on this episode. Thank you, Rich. Glad to be here. A quick bio. In chronological order, you know, as if we're in an elevator about you. Sure. So my name is Anna Barbieri. I am a physician in the field of obstetrics and gynecology. I went to Colgate University for my undergraduate education. I knew I was going to go either into medicine or archaeology. So I actually finished college a semester early in order to work a little bit and make enough money to buy myself a summer in Europe for three months when I went on a dig in ancient Corinth at that time. That experience taught me that I did not want to be an archaeologist. (laughs) I really, I really checked out the field, you know, kind of I was in the trenches for a while there. And then I began medical school in August after graduating from college, I got my MD uh, degree from SUNY Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York. 
I fell in love with obstetrics and gynecology while I was there, and then proceeded to do my residency at Mount Sinai School of Medicine in New York. I stayed on as a member of faculty practice and general OBGYN there. Along the way, I did a fellowship in minimally invasive surgery. I then did private practice for about 10 years. And as my career evolved, I fell in love with something called integrative medicine, which I think we'll talk a little uh, about a little bit later on. So I did some additional training in that. And because of the nature of my field, where you can evolve with it, I evolved too. So I actually left my previous practice and I'm launching a new practice in integrative gynecology, which is going to launch in a few months. So I'm preparing for that. And I have also uh, gotten involved in a um, startup that has to do with education in the area of women's health. I've had a number of different hats over the years, and um, it's been a very, very exciting and rewarding ride so far. What exactly is your job title and what do you do? So you're an OBGYN, which stands for what? OBGYN stands for obstetrics and gynecology, obstetrics having to do with the care of pregnant women and delivering babies. And gynecology has to do with reproductive women's health. So I do everything from contraception and preventive care um, to anything having to do with women's hormones and as far as how they pertain to women's menstrual cycles and issues that arise from that. In one sentence, what's the best part of your profession? I think it's knowing my patients long-term and being able to help them in many, many different ways. At least favorite part of your profession? Being up all night. (laughs) (laughs) And the final quick question here, if you can put in one sentence, misconceptions people have about your profession. I think it's thinking that being an OBGYN physician involves just doing one thing, and that is delivering babies. Got it. It's a much, much wider field than that. You know, Anna, you talked about a few things and you talked about the, some of the details about what you do as a OBGYN. In very simple terms, what kind of patients do you work with? So as an OBGYN, depending on whether you decide to further subspecialize within this field, yeah. you can work with women ranging from really young adolescents, meaning teenagers, to women who are much older, up to you know 70s, 80s, 90s. If you do end up doing a subspecialty training program within this field, you can actually then really start focusing on a more narrow group. So for mm. example, people that have subspecialty training in something called maternal fetal medicine. That is just medicine for pregnant women and their babies. So you're going to be really seeing just pregnant ladies. People who specialized in fertility medicine will be working with women who are trying to get pregnant. And people who specialize in gynecologic oncology, oncology being the uh, study of cancer, will be working mostly with women who are dealing with certain specific cancers that occur in women. Well, you you did a specific specialty yourself. I sort of have two subspecialties within this field. I did extra training in something called minimally invasive gynecologic surgery, which means this is performing surgery through more innovative technologies using uh, smaller instruments, using robotic surgery, and so on. 
And then the more recent extra training I did was in this field of integrative medicine. It is not really specific to necessarily obstetrics and or gynecology. Integrative medicine is really more of a philosophy of medicine that is more holistic. It focuses not just on the super specialty focused areas, but also on things like nutrition and stress and sleep. Mm-hmm. sort of general things that will influence our specific health concerns, but things that are important to all of us, lifestyle, for example. So I really love it because it does help me in understanding kind of the bigger picture for my patients right. and also enables me to help them, not just through the very specific tools of my specialty, but also through this wider lens of things that people can do on their own. So I I really believe in that. And that has really greatly enriched my career. I know we've talked about this before separately before we start recording where you're you're an OBGYN, but you're also now doing this deeper focus on integrative medicine in your OBGYN practice. Yes. If we can separate those, at least initially, as an OBGYN before, what was that like before you started doing integrative medicine? What was a typical day like for you? I, and let's try to think of it as maybe a little bit pre-COVID and post-COVID. What can someone expect if they were interested in being an OBGYN coming out of training? And what is that like? Sure. Let's let's talk pre-COVID first, maybe. Yeah, I know COVID yeah. you know, has been on everyone's mind and it's affecting everyone's life. And for sure, for all of us in medicine, it was, you know, our lives got turned upside down by it, mm-hmm. um, certainly. But COVID will be over at some point, or at least we will learn how to live with it. So let's talk a little bit what life looked like in general before March of, yeah. uh, of this year. So- when you become an obstetrician gynecologist, you have a chance to decide which avenue of the specialty you want to pick. And that is one of the best things about this particular field. It doesn't mean that you will follow a certain predetermined path. You can then decide through your training what you would like to do. So if you become, like I did, a general OBGYN, It means that you're going to both take care of women who are pregnant and deliver their babies and take care of gynecologic patients, so women who are not pregnant. So for many years, really until very recently, about a year and a half ago, I took care of anyone ranging from teenagers through much older ladies, and I also guided women through their pregnancy and delivered their babies. So my week would be divided into you know, a few days of seeing patients in uh, my office. So I would see, you know, a number of pregnant patients, a number of non-pregnant patients. What time would your day start at in those situations? I would probably start seeing patients about eight o'clock in the morning. Okay. Right. And end my office hours sometime around five or six in the afternoon. 
Now, that means that I certainly was up much earlier than that and um, tried to get some of my own morning things done or get ready for my mm -hmm. office hours. After uh, my office hours were finished, I returned phone calls or um, checked results and so on. And then I did that maybe three, three and a half days a week. I was usually on call for a 24-hour period during the week. What that meant is that any patient from my practice that was in labor or was going to have a baby that day, I would take care of them on our labor and delivery floor. Right. And during that time, I worked with a number of my work partners in what's called a group practice. And that is what most OBGYN practices are like these days. It helps to work with other people in have a, a group, team. Yeah. right? Because you're then you don't need to always think that you may get called to go deliver a baby in the middle of the night. That may be fine one night, maybe two nights in a row. But when you have to do that all the time, your life can become very, very unpredictable. And you do have to sleep at some point. So I always worked, <laughs> I always worked in a group practice with four or five other physicians. So we basically rotated our on-call nights. So I would say my, you know, my time was really split some days of seeing office patients, some days being on labor and delivery, delivering babies, doing C-sections, maybe being there at night if somebody needed me. And I would probably spend uh, about a half a day each week in the operating room doing um, surgery. And then probably half a day, either doing teaching or I was involved in some committees at the hospital, things like that. I also want to say that I, you know, at that time, I worked at what's called an academic hospital. So that means a hospital that has medical students, that has residents, that has fellows, that has people in training. So part of my job was also education. And I really liked that too, where I got to teach students and it was, it's a great thing. I still continue to do that. And it's really nice to kind of be able to explain certain topics in medicine and really watch how people learn and, and see some students really get excited about this particular field. Right. Well, there's a lot of, you know, in your career, you're bringing, you're bringing someone, a little child into the world, you know, and of course you're also dealing with more very serious stuff too. Uh, women that have cancer significant pain, anything obviously related to a woman, very, a lot of things going on. You mentioned there's some misconceptions that people had of an you know, OBGYN. You don't do that anymore. I don't do what obstetrics anymore. Yes. yes. So let's transition now to what it's, what you're doing differently now as a integrative medicine and as an OBGYN. Sure. You're catching me during this transition period. Where I know. I'm really, uh, organizing the, uh, my new practice like we said before, the great thing about OBGYN, and I think medicine in general, is that you can change course. You don't, just because you finish your schooling or training and you end up being in a certain position or doing a certain job, doesn't mean that that's going to be your job forever. And I think, you know, that would be like my first tip for anyone, really. You know, being a professional or choosing a certain profession or path, we spend a lot of time working in our fields. We may as well yeah. may as well choose something or stick to doing something that makes us happy and passionate about it. Yeah. And that thing may change when you're 25. It may look different than when you're 40 or 50. So medicine and healthcare in general, I think affords us 
the chance of being able to change course. So after a while, and I, I am someone who loves her field. I would never do anything different. But after a while, just the repetitive schedule and the night commitments and kind of became repetitive. And I was I was really becoming interested in, in this concept of integrative medicine and really wanted to do things out of the box and not the way that things were always done. And I had always wanted kind of my, to try my hand at doing something on my own and, and starting a practice and starting a business. So almost 20 years into my career in medicine, I decided that that was really the time and that's what I'm doing. So for the last two months, my days have been spent really developing the new practice, organizing it, hiring the team. I've learned a tremendous amount about marketing and business structure and operations. I've become a founding physician of a startup also. So I have learned a lot about how startups work and about digital education. So it's been so it's been quite a change from clinical care, but I'm really looking forward to this new practice. And that's going to launch in a few months. And it's going to be uh, still a gynecology practice. We won't be delivering babies, but it will be what I'm calling an integrative gynecology practice. So in addition to the usual tools of medicine that we have, which are medications and surgery, our practice will also be providing things like nutrition services and acupuncture services and doing some group events once we can obviously get out from the underneath the um, COVID effects here in terms of patient education and maybe even meditation and things like that. So I'm actually feeling very creative these days and and doing something and turning my background and experience into this this new thing. So just to be clear, what you're doing here with integrative medicine and integrating it with gynecologic medicine, this is different and this is new. This is not something that a lot of people are doing or very few people are doing. Is that true? Yes. Some people are starting to do it. Actually, even when you look at the biggest institutions, right? So if you look at places like Johns Hopkins and UCSF and the Cleveland Clinic and Harvard Medicine, a lot of the big institutions are starting to recognize that integrative medicine helps people. You can um, help a lot of people with pain with acupuncture, for example. So they are starting to offer some centers that provide this type of care. There aren't a lot of people doing it in the field of gynecology. So, mm-hmm. hey, somebody has to start it. I and if good. I'm that person, so be it. <laughs> you know, one thing that's interesting is in medicine, in healthcare, especially if you're a doctor, everything is outlined for you. You know, you go to undergraduate you know what you have to do to get into graduate school. You know what you have to do to get into, get into residency and then fellowship. And then there's there's also also a template for how you should be and practice after after graduating from your training. This is not outlined what you're doing with integrative medicine. And I think that's important to highlight is that you're hitting your stride, as we may have talked about before in your career. And now you're like, I want to do something different with my experience, my, my expertise, my skill set and my abilities that medicine is offered. And this is what you're doing. And with the still the, the idea that you're impacting and helping people. Sure. And I think, you know, I think this flexibility of path mm-hmm. um, can apply even in the beginning. Oh. I, I think a lot of people think that in order to become a physician, that 
path is very set in stone. Mm. You finish high school, you go to college, you take your MCATs, you go to medical school, you go to residency, you go through fellowship, and then you start working and you work in that job for for the next several decades. That's no longer the case anymore. You know, I I, um, also work with medical students every year now who rotate through my office on their gynecology rotation. And I do see, I think there is a trend in kind of the less traditional paths. So I see a lot of medical students who have a different background than, let's say, a straight, you know, college degree in the biological sciences, right? right? or maybe people who have worked for a couple of years in a different field. I do think that there is a certain schedule that we can't get away from, right? We all have to, we have to pass our exams and Mm -hmm. we have to take the MCATs and we have to get into medical school and we have to take our specialty exams and licensure exams. And those things exist for a reason because we do have to have some standardization of the path to ensure that people meet certain criteria. But I would encourage everyone to exercise a little bit of freedom and creativity. I think no matter what career we enter, if we feel really controlled by it, it becomes something that becomes hard to do after many years. So we may as well spend our life something that really drives us and motivates us and that we feel passionate about, that we can feel a little bit creative about. You know, as an OBGYN, is there any particular experiences or one particular experience that you can come to that brings to mind of what embodies an OBGYN and what you, what kind of work you've done? Yes, I think I have a a lot of patients that I have known for a long time. Yeah. And that is one of the best things about my field. And I have a lot of patient stories and most of them are happy, but we encounter complications and we encounter sad and difficult events also. Yeah. I have a patient that I've known for maybe now 15 years and it was someone who um, ended up seeing me one day because uh, she saw her primary care doctor and she complained of something. And this is someone that this primary care doctor wanted me to see that day. It was the end of my office hours. I saw a lot of patients, but I said, sure, why not? Let's see this person. So I ended up seeing this person and it turned out that she had not seen a gynecologist for many, many years before. And she was there for a very specific thing that had nothing to do with her preventive care. But I had asked her if she had had a breast exam and she had not had one for many years. She just never saw a gynecologist. Mm. So despite the fact that it was late in the day and she wanted to go home, I wanted to go home, we ended up doing kind of the full exam and I really discovered an abnormality, sent her for her mammogram, which is like an x-ray of a woman's breast. breast. Mm -hmm. And it turned out she had pretty advanced breast cancer. Mm. She ended up having treatment literally within a week of that. And she, I think to this day, she and I talk about it, of what it how a single interaction with a doctor can change the course of someone's life. Yes. And I think that is an incredibly powerful thing. So we can't forget that in all these lines of healthcare, we have the privilege of really 
changing the course of someone's life. And that's really important because there's a lot of other aspects of medicine that feel very mundane. You know, all those phone calls, all those results, all the paperwork that we do, all this, you know, some, sometimes it can feel very tedious. But mm. at the end of the day, we can't lose sight of how important our work can really be. And I think every time, every year I see her, every time she sends me an email or we do something, I'm reminded of that. And it makes me kind of want to go on. And that just, it just exemplifies how, you know, how meaningful we can be. And impactful. Yeah. Totally. Which segues me to what do you think the future outlook is like for your profession overall? Not you specifically, but overall as an OBGYN. So I think the outlook is very positive, but I think OBGYN is going to change over the next, oh. you know, How so? uh, over the next few decades. I think there's just so much more to this field than what was thought previously. And I think that's true of a lot of fields in, in medicine. There's just constantly more and more information coming out, more to know, and so on. Let's take, for example, I, I think genetics is that example in OBGYN. You know, we deal with pregnant ladies and we deal a lot with genetic or inherited issues that can arise in the course of a pregnancy or with a new baby. Right. Um, the science of genetics has advanced so rapidly over the last two decades. We now need specialists in medical genetics and specialty counselors in that because the regular field is just unable to keep up with everything. So I think over the next maybe 20, 30 years, OBGYN will become, may become even more subspecialized. I think some people will just work in the hospital. And we're seeing that now even already. Mm. Some people will just work in the hospital delivering babies. It can be a very strenuous, busy job. Yeah. Some people will work in the office setting, kind of seeing regular patients. And some people already specialize in surgery related to gynecology. So I think we're going to see more of a specialization within the field. Got it. Anna, just to shift gears a little bit here. Yeah. You talked about your bio initially. What were you like as a student in high school and college? Were you the studious type, straight A's? (laughs) (laughs) So I think, you know, like everyone, I had my challenges. I, I think in high school, uh, well, let, let me go back even further a little oh, bit. So okay. I don't know if you can hear it in my voice, but I actually was not born in the U.S. So I came to this country uh, when I was 14 years old. I was in ninth grade. I was born in Poland and uh, my family moved here at that time. So I entered high school in ninth grade. So really, most of my ninth grade was actually spent learning English because I did not even wow. speak English at the time. Like nothing. Like hardly anything. I would say I spoke like the equivalent of, you know, studying, you know, language in your seventh grade, you know, a foreign language in your seventh grade for that one year. So not really. I, I really had no speaking ability. But like whenever you get immersed in something, you end up learning it pretty quickly. So I did. And in high school, I, I would say I was pretty well-rounded student. So I did a lot of things. I did. I was on a ski team. I was on a track team. I had a lot of interests in sort of more humanities, but I always liked the sciences also. And I was very lucky that high school academics came to me relatively easily. In college, I was pretty involved also. And as I said, I really, really wanted 
I really loved ancient history and archaeology. So I was going to try it. And I made that my goal. So I actually bunched up all my courses together. I had taken a bunch of AP classes. So that helped me sort of satisfy some of my college requirements. So I was able to really take the last semester off of school and then earn enough money for my big European trip. And it was great. It was one of the kind of adventure highlights of my life. And I don't, you know, I don't, I'm so glad I did it and I really don't regret it. And then, you know, with medical school, obviously those academic requ- requirements got harder mm-hmm. and there were some bumps in the road. I'd say, you know, biochem is not really the easiest, uh, easiest class at all. But it was okay. I think I think the key is structure. So knowing when, knowing when to sit, knowing when to study, being able to train your focus on something, and then making sure that you can live a life outside of all that studying. So I would say for me, medical school was a combination of really intense experiences, really intense studying and academic focus. But I also made some really great, great friends. I met my husband in medical school. Mm-hmm. I would say residency was the same. We worked very, very hard. That was the time of those, you know, 90-hour weeks. Yeah. But again, I've made some really great friends. I've had some great social experiences. So it's all, you know, life is not just one thing. The key is to figure out where, where your balance is and how to live life on all these multiple levels. In college, when you decided to go into medicine at some point, what was the decision-making process? Because you were thinking about archaeology and healthcare or you know medicine. What was the decision-making process for you in helping you decide that? So, you know, I, I couldn't choose between the two because archaeology to me represented this hobby, dream, sort of this, this sort of more artistic line yeah. of work. But I really didn't. I really couldn't picture what that would be like. And that is why I really wanted to go on a dig to find out what that work entailed. Because it's one thing to think of something or read about it, but it's another thing to try it. So Mm -hmm. I'm a pretty, as much of a dreamer as I sound to be, I'm also very pragmatic, right? Like (laughs) I like to, I like to test things out. I like to, you know, I like to, I'm pretty analytical. So I wanted to try it medicine was something I knew a little bit about. So my um, father is a general surgeon. Mm -hmm. My mom was a neurologist. So I knew medicine because I knew it from kind of my home experience of it. And I saw the good and the bad of it. And I actually didn't really, until college, I didn't really think I was going to go to medical school. And then I had some experiences in terms of my extracurriculars and, and working with people in college that really kind of opened my eyes to it a little bit. And I knew that with medicine, I could kind of carve my own path within it, but have a little bit more of a long-term plan. So then when I went to, when I went on my archaeology adventure, sure, it was great while it lasted, but there was no way, no how I was going to do that for the rest of my life. Like that was not the life I wanted to have. I see. And to be honest with you, I kind of did the same things even in medical school. Like I initially thought I was going to do what's called general internal medicine, which uh-huh. is kind of being a primary care An doctor. internist, yeah. Yeah, an internist. And and I did, I wanted to 
practice being that. So I did a special rotation in that specifically where I worked with somebody just to see what their day was like. Right. And that taught me that, man, I did not want to be an internist. And I'm so glad I did that because you don't want to, you don't want to commit to something long-term without kind of trying at first. So, yeah. yeah, So So you were thinking about internal medicine. What else were you thinking about in medical school? Oncology. Oncology. Yeah. And I think it's because I had a, this really amazing mentor and sometimes we want to do the things that people that we look up to do, which is understandable. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we should be doing those things. Like we may be inspired by their character, by, the, by their person, mm-hmm. by their attitude. And that's what happened to me. But I confused that with being inspired by their field. So I did a little rotation in that also. And that taught me that I didn't want to do that. Whereas when I did my, you know, in medical school, you get to try lots of different subspecialties and specialties. So when I did OBGYN, by I, this was my last rotation of my third year, which is kind of the year where you try different things. Yeah. And I was kind of getting down a little bit because this whole internal medicine thing and the oncology thing, like they just didn't seem to jive. And I was like, what am I going to do? And I did OBGYN. And by the end of the second day, like it felt right. So I came home and I was like, this is, this is what I'm going to do. I can't do anything else. I love how you say, listen, you got to live those experiences. You do. For even for a few moments to get a feel for what that's really like. And just like you, you, you get inspired by certain people you come across and you're right. It's kind of funny how you see it. It's not necessarily inspired by the field, but whether it's their character or their skill set, maybe they're so good at that skill. Like I want to be like that or they're, the way they approach their life or their profession. Right. And it can be very inspiring for someone that's looking for direction sometimes. So yeah. definitely and I get I would, that. You know, I would encourage, you know, anybody that's looking at any healthcare field, if you think you like something in particular, spend some time with somebody who is living that life. Take mm-hmm. a look, not just at them, but see the work they do, how does that work affect their life? You know, I've had medical students that come and work with me sometimes for a week, for two. And I've had some students who say, you know what? I cannot do this. This is not for me. And then I've had students who really fall in love with this work and who really kind of where that decision gets solidified. And both experiences are really valuable. You bought, you, you, you know, the goal is to kind of try to figure out what you don't want to do and hopefully find something that that you're going to love. Would you have done anything differently? Yes. Oh. I I think, you know, despite my not such a uh, you know, straight and narrow path, mm-hmm. in the end I did, you know, yes, I went on my adventure trip. Yeah. But then I went straight to medical school. I did my residency and then I went straight into a my first kind of job position at the time. And things are changing here a little bit. When I finished medical school, I graduated of quite a bit of debt, educational debt. 
And I had the opportunity to actually go and work in one of the programs that would have allowed me to repay that debt faster by working in, typically you end up working in what's called an underserved area, which could be a really remote part of the country, mm-hmm. um, like Alaska or North Dakota. Or, or Indian reservation. Or Indian reservation. Yeah. Or let's say, oh, you work up in an underserved area in a big city. And at the time, like I was for some reason in such a hurry to just be done with school and get on with my life and, you know, do things like get married and we were have going the kids, to start get the house. and have the kids and have the house. And, you know, looking back, I think spending a year or two working in a totally different environment and getting exposed to that, I think would have been a, would have been a, a really good choice at the time. Mm-hmm. So I would say my, you know, and, and what I learned from that is just take the time to see what's around. Don't just, you know, it, it's really, it's like how that saying goes, right? It's about the journey, not the destination. And I was really like in a hurry to get to a destination only to find myself 20 years later, finally kind of enjoy, <laughs> enjoying the journey that's going to take me to the next place. <laughs> Making your own road. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I want to switch gears now to what I call my rapid fire questions. All right. Oh, okay. Oh, this yes. is a little lighthearted, playful, and yes. um, you know, sometimes revealing, but it doesn't have to be. All right. So you ready? Sure. <laughs> What's your favorite candy to eat? Any dark chocolate thing. Favorite ice cream flavor? Coffee. What's your favorite type of books to read? I'm going to say historical fiction. Beaches or snow? Snow. On a scale of 1 to 10, how strict were your parents? 10 being very, very strict. 8. Would you rather not brush your hair ever or your teeth? Hair. Yes, hair, (laughs) definitely. I have to brush my teeth, yes. (laughs) Now, I know you live in New Jersey. So -hmm. if you had to live in a different state, what would it be? And you can't say New York. I would live in Maine. I love Maine. Place you would most want to travel, especially now. Uh, right now, I would In like December to go of anywhere. 2020. <laughs> I would like to go to Northern Italy. How many days do you wear the same pants in a row before it becomes a problem? Two or three. <laughs> <laughs> if you could get a yacht, what would you call it? I I don't I think a yacht would be a huge headache to have. Mm. Maybe call it um, headache. I would call it, yeah, <laughs> headache, probably. Yeah, that would be uh, a yeah, that would be a major headache. Yeah. <laughs> and if you were stranded on a tropical island, what two things would you want with you? I would want a knife. I guess I you should have a, a tool. Practical. Uh, a practical, practical tool. And I think I would want I would get a water purifier with me. Oh, look at that. Very practical thinking. I think that's from watching like all advance. those, you know, it's uh, like my family loves to watch all those survivor shows. Oh, yeah. So uh, we watch a lot of those. Yeah. I would take. You might do well. I would take, I don't know. We'll see. Bug spray. That would be on the list too. <laughs> Anna, that's it. I really appreciate you coming on on this episode. I Thank you so much. I really, really enjoyed it. And all the best to everyone. Take care. All right, everybody, that's our show today. Thanks for tuning in. To learn more about today's guests or other past guests, 
just check out my website, healthcareerswithdrmarn.com or hcwithdrmarn.com. Of course, if you like what you heard on this podcast, then please go to my website, add your name and email to my email list. That way you can get the latest announcements and news as they arise. You can also find me on Instagram at drrichardmarn. That's Dr. Richard Marn. Thank you so much for listening and catch you on the next episode.